If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be unavoidably engulfing, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to how do we bring life and visceral detail to the shambling mound, and what abilities lend themselves to this horrifying plant tank, and what's the stinkiest plant? <laughs> Asked nobody ever, <laughs> but now you want to know, I bet. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. We found an interesting story that relates to our topic that we thought would be a good introduction. And then we read it. <laughs> it's horrifying. Far too horrifying to actually share. But we can give you the broad strokes. On April 28, 1874, Mr. Edmund Spencer, who wrote for the New York World, wrote this story of a Carl Litch exploring the forests of Madagascar. In this first-hand account of Carl Litch, a tribe brings him to a tree that looks like an iron-strong pineapple with lots of creepy tendrils. Yuck. The tree eats someone. It's real nasty. And everyone believes this to be the truth. Oh, yeah. This was like War of the Worlds pre-War of the Worlds. Yeah. Back when people thought the rest of the world was an unknowable, horror-filled place. <laughs> and 13 years after its publication, it was finally revealed to be a hoax. But that didn't stop plenty of real explorers thinking the hoax was a hoax and trying to look for the tree in the forests of Madagascar anyways. So don't bother going to go look it up. It's gross. This story reads like a racist, sexist torture porn. Like, don't just don't. It's upsetting. <laughs> Sorry we brought it up. It's very much in the vein of what you could absolutely write in 1874, but luckily we've come a long way but it is a good example of the fact that these tales of plants that can eat people have been around for a very long time and they're deeply upsetting yeah <laughs> and i think that the reason it captures us is because we know that they're kind of real yes there's versions of that that are just smaller and don't actually eat people but if you've ever watched a venus flytrap eat a fly that's real, man. You've put yourself in the mind of that fly. Oh, it's upsetting. Okay, anyways. Obviously, today we're talking about the Shambling Mound. And if you're unfamiliar, that's a large D&D &D monster. It's a sentient, semi-humanoid, morphing, undulous mound of plant matter that lumbers and smashes hard. <laughs> putting it succinctly. <laughs> it has a really high strength and con and really nothing else it's pretty low on the on the old stat block for the rest it ain't smart it's got resistance to fire and cold not only immune to lightning but also is healed by it Ugh. and it's immune to being blinded deafened or exhausted which a unstoppable unexhaustible plant beast is kind of scary it's got blind sight out to 60 feet and it also has the ability to engulf its prey, much like that Venus flytrap. Which is the scary bit. 
So for a quick recap on what that actually functions like, the shambling mound engulfs a medium or smaller creature grappled by it. The engulfed target is blinded, restrained, and unable to breathe. My favorite thing to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is what I do pretty much all weekend. I, I have planned on my schedule to breathe. That creature must then succeed on a DC 14 constitution saving throw at the start of each of the mound's turn or take 13 bludgeoning damage. It's just churning you around in its, not guts, but... Well... Insides? Yeah, it's like being tangled in a knot of 30 boa constrictors. How about that? Ooh, terrible. Yeah, the engulfed target moves with it, and at this point, there is nothing that says that anybody gets out of the shambling mound. It does not give you a way to escape. That's terrifying. As a monster goes, that can be a little bit challenging, actually, because... The Shambling Mound is obviously super cool, but I think it can be very easily misused. Well, yeah, because without really thinking your way through it, you could miss out on an awesome encounter and just kind of use it as a large stat block that takes players out of the game and ends with a TPK because you just keep hitting the shit out of people. Yeah, and that's so problematic in terms of game flow and how players enjoy games and as soon as you engulf a character if you don't do that wisely now they're on their phone they're tuning out until they die yeah they make their saving throws and then eventually <laughs> yeah like you say they go under <laughs> under zero bye bye character and I'll, I'll see you guys next week i'll roll up a new character yeah so how do we fix these problems well obviously we have to look at all horrifying plants and spend probably upwards of eight to ten hours researching death plants that's how you spend your time so well spent and we'll tell you all about that in the archives of the ancients this is the archives of the ancients where knowledge is unearthed to add wild insights to our world okay so we're going to focus on three wild plants to inspire our shambling mounds. (laughs) Say that again. Three wild plants. To inspire our shambling mounds. (laughs) Don't ever say the word shambling mounds to me again. Am I saying it wrong? (laughs) It sounds weird when you say it. All right. So what are the three plants that we're taking some inspiration from? Number one, the corpse flower. Ooh, as terrible as it sounds. Number two, the sundew. And number three... The classic Venus flytrap. Okay. Well, I can already tell our new shambling mound is going to be unkillable. So which one do you want to hear about first? Well, let's start with the corpse flower. Well, they have a massive inflorescence or stem. (laughs) Fancy words. Yes. The stem looks a lot like a baguette and they grow up to 10 feet tall. Wow. That's a huge plant. That's a huge baguette. (laughs) But yes, it is a huge plant. And the base of the stem is actually blanketed in small flowers. Interesting. This stem is surrounded by the spathe, which is another weird plant term. It looks like a large flower to me. Uh, It's kind of like a leafy green, but it's got a frilly burgundy edge. There's something so enjoyable about a couple of D&D nerds trying to describe... Teaching botany. (laughs) (laughs) We should not be talking about this, but we're gonna. You got me there. 
and they smell awful. The chemical makeup of this smell is similar to blending together Limburger cheese, rotting fish, gross, sweaty socks, no thank you, sweet flowers, okay, and feces. (laughs) I knew you were going to round it out. (laughs) And why does a plant smell so bad? Well, to lure in bugs that feed on dead animals. So the plant's trying to act like a corpse. Disgusting. The bugs dip their legs in the pollen and spread it about the world. So, the, yeah, they just attract the bugs so that they pollinate it and it germinates somewhere else. Yeah. Cool. Now, they do a couple of weird things to imitate corpses. <laughs> Go on. Like heating up to 98 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.7 degrees Celsius. Ew. And when they actually bloom, the inside of that big leafy part, it's like red and bumpy and it looks a it, lot like meat. It does look like rotting meat. Google that. Another fact to give you a sense of their size, their root ball can weigh up to 220 pounds. Jesus. That's a big old plant. Big old baguette. Yeah. All right. What what else? Well, let's go to the sundew, a nicer sounding plant. The sundew grows really close to the ground, and each of its leaves look like little green mittens with thick red hairs, each of them with a sticky droplet of carnivorous goo. That was cute up until the carnivorous part. Yeah, it'll get you with that. Their leaves can be kind of vine-like, and when a bug lands on them, they kind of act like tentacles. The bug gets stuck, and the vine starts to wrap around the bug. Hell no. Wonderful. And I couldn't help but throw this in. There's an assassin bug that's immune to their stickiness, and it hangs out and steals bugs from these plants. Little assholes. So the rogue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The sundew has a rogue that just hangs out and steals treasure from it. So you're saying the shambling mound would have somebody that sneaks out and kills you and takes your stuff before the mound gets you? Yeah. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Cool. And then the Venus flytrap. Well, we're all a little more familiar with what these look like and how they eat flies because I'm pretty sure every person in the world has at some point, if they have internet access, Googled (laughs) Venus flytrap. Why not? Why wouldn't you? They got those little teeth. They're creepy looking. But one fun fact I didn't know about Venus flytraps is that... They don't actually have muscles because that's weird. They're plants. <laughs> Strong little biceps on plants. <laughs> Muscle plant. Um, but instead, they have pockets of water that fill up and help to close and keep it closed. Really? That's yeah. bizarre. All right. So we need to put these into practice with our actual creature, with our shambling mound. So we're going to focus in on a couple of details of the Shambling Mound to see if we can use these plants to enrich them a little bit with the reveal, their engulf, and their terrain or habitat slash environment. So let's start with the reveal. Well, the Shambling Mound in its description, it says they appear to be heaps of rotting vegetation. So they're just like, they could be piles. I mean, in the actual monster manual, they're drawn to look like they ha- they're bipedal, like they've got arms and legs. Yeah. And kind of a head. Very loosely. And they kind of look viney and... Yeah. So with that, what can we do with, say, the corpse flower? Like, obviously, we could make it smell because it's rotting vegetation. Yeah. And I think that smell would spread very far. And that's kind of like the, you know, you're in its territory. When you smell that stank. <laughs> 
But I mean, it does make sense for it to smell like that because a creature of this size that eats meat would maybe typically lure in scavenger animals. There we go. So it wants to lure in uh, coyotes and rats and maybe even crows. Yeah. Because it can engulf those when there aren't any tasty adventurers around. This is not going to be a picky eater. Let's just, <laughs> let's say it engulfs pretty much any living thing that it can possibly get its tendrils on. You're saying it doesn't have a seasoning belt. <laughs> yeah, it's not carrying around paprika. Waiting for those massive vultures to fly down into it. I think it would also have the appearance of meat, just like those plants. Yeah. Like it very well could, maybe it shifts between the two. Maybe it shifts between like a camouflage kind of plant looking surface and when it wants to really lure something in kind of like some flowers furl out it furls out all of these blooms on itself and it looks all meaty lets it loose a wave of stink oh (laughs) gross but also on the lead up to fighting say a shambling mound if an adventuring party is able to smell this thing and they're getting that kind of like sense of shit's about to go down having them encounter some scavengers beforehand. You know, you always want to try and lead up to some kind of encounter. And that's one way that we can misuse the shambling mound is just being like, well, here's a shambling mound. Yeah. But being able to lead up and have the adventuring party maybe have to fight off a pack of like starved wolves that are there investigating that smell. Okay. And now the wolves are turned to them. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the sundew. The sundew is interesting for just that stickiness that doesn't let its prey get away. And I think that's really interesting to apply to the shambling mound. I like the idea of this like sticky mucus yeah. all over the thing. Like it's it's kind of glistening. It's rotting. There's fluids coming off of it. Maybe it's looking like a slug almost. Maybe even leaving a trail. That's gross. And what about the fly trap? Well, I really like applying the shifting pockets of water to the shambling mound. Okay. It's almost moving like a disgusting, ravenous, bloodthirsty waterbed. (laughs) Its weight just like shifts as it rolls through the environment. That's a good point because the shambling mound doesn't have to be bipedal. And actually the shambling mound is a really cool example of one of those stat blocks that you can really swap onto anything. In a snap, this thing could be an Eldritch Horror. Absolutely. So yeah, it doesn't have to be bipedal. It can just be this big, yeah, blubbery slug thing that rolls over top of people if it wants. Like you can you can mix and match. This is a very flexible monster. That's what I love about it. You can make it more tree-like. You can make it cactus-like. You can make it look like a bunch of birds. Who cares? <laughs> okay, man, I might draw the line at the birds, but... All right, so what about engulf? What can we do with engulf? in terms of a corpse flower. Well, well, of these three, the corpse flower is the one that doesn't actually trap. It just, like we were saying, gives bugs a place to lay their eggs and coats them in pollen. Okay. So this might not apply directly to engulf, but what if there were these traps throughout its environment, the swamp and such, where if you fell into it, it didn't work as a pollen, this liquid that was in there, but it worked as an attractant maybe? You're almost describing like those pitcher plants that are similar to like the Venus flytraps that have like a a basin in the bottom of them. Yeah. So maybe those 
are just something that exists in the environment. Once you fall into it, you're now a target for the shambling mound. Interesting. So it kind of coats you in that, uh, yeah, something that'll help it find you. Yeah. Hmm. Now it's going to engulf you. What about the sundew? Well, again, the sundew's using that sticky substance. Yeah. So once you're in, there's a thick, sticky mucus that you're drowning in. Ew. I mean, if you're getting sucked into something akin to a waterbed, it's not going to be easy to get out. <laughs> it's hard to get out of a waterbed, period. That really helps to explain why it's so difficult to escape once you're in. Well, or if you've ever been to any of those foam pits or anything else like that, like the, the principle is the same. When something gives with every kick yeah, and it just absorbs all of that energy, you have nothing to push off of. And that is a, it's kind of a terrifying feeling. Yeah, you feel trapped even though you're surrounded by happy foam. (laughs) (laughs) In this case, very angry, toxic foam. Yeah. I love adding that visceral feeling of the sundew actually curling around its prey. And it really does, like the shambling mound, as soon as you touch its kind of like sticky amoeba surface, it knows you're there. Yeah. So as soon as you come to attack it or as soon as it moves towards you and hits you with one of its attacks, now all of a sudden it knows exactly where you are. Its first move is absorb you. Like it just goes straight for it. Right. Because its slam attack is what transfers into the grapple, which transfers into the engulf. Yeah. And so that all works really well with this concept of a sticky, slimy creature. One point to bring up, I might sound like a bit of a stick in the mud with this, but I would argue that when you engulf your players with the shambling mound, you gotta leave their head out. What's interesting is that Wizards of the Coast, in the actual image of the shambling mound, has an adventurer's face and hands sticking outside of the shambling mound, even though it's entirely within its mass. And I don't think that was necessarily a mistake, because if you truly engulf your entire player, what you're doing, like we were talking about earlier, is you're taking them completely out of the game. If you leave their head out or you leave their hands out, there is still the possibility that they can be either casting verbal and somatic spells. They could also just be talking and coaching and collaborating with the rest of the team. Yeah. They could be screaming, look out. They're at least in the role play of it, if anything else. That's true. And I would be totally fine with sacrificing the effect of suffocating your the character for that actual ability to role play your character. Yeah. Maybe it's a reward for making that saving throw. Like you get your head out or you get your hands out. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that in order to role play and make this encounter the true terror that it should be, imagine having somebody feeling that terror while being engulfed and being able to to convey that rather than just being taken out. Yeah. Like their friend is being suffocated and squeezed to death inside a horror plant. <laughs> Let them play into that. There, That is a rich vein. Especially if the rest of the party decides to bounce on you, you can at least express your <laughs> displeased, <laughs> your displeasure with 
My organs! <laughs> you assholes! <laughs> All right, and finally, the flytrap. Well, the flytrap, when it closes up on its prey, it has kind of an elastic membrane. Yeah. Right? And I think this just piles onto everything we've been talking about. If you're swimming through the goo, the mucus, the vines are wrapping around you, and there's an elastic membrane that you can't, like, pierce with weapons or, like, claw your way through... It just keeps stretching against all of the tugging and pulling that you're trying to do to get your friend out. Yeah, there's no way, no way you're getting out. It's starting to make a lot more sense. And because it's such a dangerous thing that you can't escape, I think it's super crucial to foreshadow this ability. Yeah, there's an old man in town that tells of the story of his great-grandpappy that got swallowed by a man-eating plant. Very similar to the story that we talked about in the very beginning. Those kind of stories grab people's attention and they get told time and time and time again and people believe them. Yeah. People have maybe seen bears be consumed, which gives the idea that strength ain't getting you out. Yeah. That makes me feel a lot better as a DM about throwing this at my players if they have been somehow warned via foreshadowing of something horrible that engulfs people. So yeah. going into that combat, my players are now prepared. They know that it's going to try to engulf because that's what this monster does. They've been warned. They're going to stay back. And if shit goes sideways, they, it goes sideways. But they were warned. And my initial thought to this was, okay, well, if I warn my players, then they'll be able to just stay way away from it. It only moves 20 feet. So it'll never be able to pose a threat. But if you use some of our next point, the terrain, you can effectively counter that and still make it super scary to be in its environment. Totally. Let's uh, let's do a little reversal. Let's start with the flytrap this time. The flytrap can live completely submerged in water for months. Interesting. No flies in its diet down there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's just kind of a testament to its perseverance and its ability to just, you know keep on ticking even underwater. So I'm wondering, with its swim speed of 20, which is faster than the swim speed of all of our adventurers. Yeah, unless you're working with someone that's put all of their efforts into being fast. Yeah, like the average creature who has a 30-foot movement speed is going to be 15 feet in the water. Yeah. Which is going to put this thing five feet on the first turn outside of their range with one of their compatriots inside it that's a terrifying predicament especially if this thing just lives underwater yeah i mean it's a shambling mound it's a large creature it's easy to spot uh it doesn't move particularly fast therefore this is gonna be more of a surprise creature like why isn't it sitting underwater just looking like a little floating island Ooh, floating island with a little nice little flower sticking on top yeah there you go (laughs) And it also doesn't need to breathe air. So, again, why is it coming up? Yeah. It doesn't like to sunbathe, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Sundew. The Sundew lives in tropical environments on kind of peaty, mossy, thin floors. Interesting. Okay. So, I had an idea about this as we were kind of cooking some of this stuff up. I mean, going back to the whole watery terrain, what about like mossy terrain? Where if you moved fast, like if you moved your full 30 feet in a turn, you might break through. 
this is disturbing. <laughs> I mean, we know that like just down in the area of Vancouver, there's a whole area of town called Delta and it sits basically on top of soup. Like it is thin in some spots and it's just this big wet bog. And you know, if you step in the wrong spot, you're going up to your knees at least. Yeah. But I mean, we know bogs can have these big kind of uh, almost stable terrain that looks totally fine. Like it's got trees growing on it. But if you step in the wrong spot, there you go. I love that. So as like a medium creature, I'm thinking the mechanics of it could be like, if you're not treating it like difficult terrain and moving half your speed, then you're going to break through and have to move quarter of your speed because you're waist deep. Yeah. And then you have to spend half of your movement to climb out. So that's going to really hamper yeah. a party almost too much. I'm, I'm a little <laughs> terrified now. So what about the corpse flower? Well, a corpse flower can add a lot to the environment because they're parasitic. So when the bugs pollinate this plant, they don't go to other good fertile soil to plant it. It actually grows on different plants. Interesting. So yeah, it's it's a parasite. What if the party who came into contact with this thing might be carrying the pollen or the spores to make another one? Whatever that spring of consciousness is that brings this big, hungry mound of plant matter to life can do that again somewhere else. Oh, so maybe if like you've moved through another environment that is very rich in plant life, all of a sudden like another mound comes to life and you're just like, God, why? <laughs> or even slowly grows. Like if you go back to your castle that you have as an adventurer, any plants in the vicinity, you walk through your wonderful palace gardens that you've been slaying dragons to earn. Now all of a sudden you go on another adventure, you come back, guess whose butler is fighting <laughs> off a shambling mound. You're learning the real skills of those butlers. Yeah, it took a couple months to grow, but it's it's uh, now full size and different. The other idea that I really like behind this is that if it were a parasite, it could potentially just adopt whatever plant life was around it. Yeah. So that allows you to make a lot of different flavors of that shambling mound with a couple of different abilities mixed in there. All right, and I got one more bonus round plant. Oh. That's not on our list. Go on. The Wellwitchia. I like the name. <laughs> I'm on board for the name. So I had to mention it because it is a tough plant. It grows in the Namibian desert in an area called the Gate to Hell. <laughs> okay. Its seeds, when they spread, can last years before the rain comes. Jeez. And some specimens have been found that are over 2,000 years old. All right. Now we're talking. It just doesn't quit. Well, you saved the best for last. <laughs> okay. The first thing that springs to mind here, I need to see just like a little sprig of plant life. You know, like how, you know, survivors in a desert will drink aloe, like they'll crack open an aloe. A cactus of some sort. Because yeah, and they'll just like, they'll, yeah. yeah, they'll drink it. 
I want to see adventurers moving through a desert to grab the the one little sprig of green sticking out that's got some morning dew hanging off of it, only to be completely engulfed by a shambling mound hiding under the sand. And that little sprig was the tinkler on top of its head? <laughs> Don't touch its tinkler. <laughs> Careful, that's a tinkler. <laughs> I think it's also interesting because if a shambling mound is pretty much eternal once it's born, then it might have some cool stuff in there. Yeah, absolutely. That thing has some loot. Yeah, we're talking like ancient dragon stomach loot. This is such a great opportunity to give your players some dope stuff. That's awesome. And I think that has great potential for really old folk stories of a creature that's lived in the swamp for generations. Wow, yeah. You vanquish this shambling mound, you split it open, and you see glittering gear galore. And another super cruel idea for your party, what if when it splits open, it just releases those seeds into the breeze? No. Oh my god, you're evil. Hundreds of seeds. You are an evil bastard. (laughs) You're using fireball for that one, for sure. (laughs) Just nuke it from orbit. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, I think we've wrought enough horror. Let's head on to our final segment, Lamashtu's Breeding Pit. This is Lamashtu's Breeding Pit, where the most vile and deadly of creatures are birthed and unleashed upon doomed adventurers. Okay, so you were thinking it would be cool to create some new abilities for the Shambling Mound to kind of give it a little more versatility. I mean, if we haven't already made the Shambling Mound more deadly, just to add a little bit of spice, because we've all got those players who know exactly what this monster is and exactly how to fight it. So once in a while, we just need to throw in a little curveball. Yeah, so satisfying. So my first idea is... This thing is a pile of rotting plant matter. Why isn't it amorphous? Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't really have like a skeleton like me. Yeah, so all we have to do is add on the property that the shambling mound can move through a space as narrow as one inch wide without squeezing. Oh, that opens up a lot of avenues. You've got this like twitching, writhing, scrambling, potentially faster shambling mound that can come at you from any which direction you can close doors but it ain't stopping this shambling mound oh i love the idea of like standing in front of those massive bars that you see in sewers that stop you from continuing and there's a shambling mound on the other side and you're thinking (laughs) oh it's chill it starts to push through yeah that thing pushes through just like the t-1000 yeah (laughs) and i also love the idea of using that in that swampy environment like You could have a bamboo forest or like a banyan tree or even swamp water that's just choked with growth that you couldn't move through. It's not even like difficult terrain. It's like impassable terrain. Yeah. And you as the party have to stay on kind of like the paths that you can move on. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't have to. No. And as you're trying to weave along these paths that keep doubling back... This thing goes straight through. Yeah. Oh, it's almost like being stuck in a uh, 
Minotaur's maze, except the Minotaur can move through. <laughs> it's just the hacking walls. its way through the. Yeah, exactly. Well, what about a reach attack? This feels like it fits right with the Shambling Mound. Yeah. So this thing has blind sight up to 60 feet. So it can sense when people come within that perimeter. Yeah. As soon as you get within that 50 feet, imagine a vine melee weapon attack that has a 50-foot radius. Jeez. Now, only one creature at a time. We're not cruel. (laughs) This just plays hell with the party. This makes this creature truly terrifying and borderline overpowered because you don't want to get close and you can't stay far. Yeah, you have to be real far at that point. This destroys any melee attacker's ability to you know, get up in there and get the hits without being engulfed. And then does it just like suck you right back in? Pretty much. I mean, this is where all of your mages and wizards go, now I'm going to save your ass. <laughs> yeah, we're using the 120 foot range. <laughs> Again, one. nuking it from orbit. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, and just so we aren't too cruel, like I could still see the players being able to cut, say the vine that was pulling in that party member. I think this vine could probably reel in a player at the speed of like 30 feet until it can actually engage that engulf ability, just so it would take like a full round. Yeah. And that way you have players on like defensive duty stopping this thing from reeling in creatures, even if the barbarian decides to get up on close and personal, there's still this option of one turn needing to be taken before you can be engulfed. So... The rest of the party has something to do. You got the rogue there cutting the vines that are grabbing onto the barbarian who's doing the most damage Yeah. while all of your casters are at range. I feel like that makes it interesting. And I think rather than having it, I mean, you could have it just like lash its vines straight out, but I kind of like the flavor of if you think you're being kind of stealthy on its perimeter, then the vine comes up from that kind of swampy environment yeah. and then you realize that it's attached all the way. There it's you like, go. Oh! Yeah, this feels a lot to me like the new game that just came out on Steam called Carrion, where you just play this like jelly red blob (laughs) that kills people by attaching to them with tendrils. Wonderful. Yeah, check it out. Uh, So my final idea, I'm going to call this the new pilot because right now the Shambling Mound isn't particularly intelligent. Right but it does swallow creatures that are intelligent. Indeed. I'm kind of thinking of something akin to the movie Annihilation, Natalie Portman, where they become kind of sporish and disgusting and like splayed out. So what if each new adventurer that this thing has swallowed adds, say, two to its intelligence score? Oh, no. And what if there are kind of multiple people that are on board and what if they're kind of still with it oh no and what if they're kind of not and they're still (laughs) hungry oh you've got some real horror elements right there so it kind of like zombifies them and makes them gives them its goals yeah yeah like it still wants to see its family oh but it's also a huge shambling mound oh no those adventures are talking to you they got like bits of memory yeah and it's it's smart enough to start laying traps yeah like 
this thing is some kind of Frankenstein's monster and maybe it's your job to help or, you know, I could I could build a whole adventure based on trying to relieve this thing of its life because it's an abomination. Absolutely. Unless you make those corpses the old Muppets that are always sitting in the balcony <laughs> making fun of stuff. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Kind of a comedic duo. I love that. I love that idea. That's great. And I think this is such a relatively simple monster. And I think that if you do want to pump this combat up just a little bit more in favor of the Shambling Mound, you could add like one spell ability. The one I was thinking of was Gaseous Form, which I know turns the caster into a gas. But if you just use the flavor of it kind of dissipating into the swampy plant environment. Yeah. If it needs a quick escape, because then it can show up later. Then it's hunting and haunting your party as they travel hell no no thank you uh we do have some other ideas from our wonderful friends on discord both are patrons of the show so thank you both but the first one comes from will hp who wants to put you up against a druid or a storm sorcerer that's uh kind of the teammate of these suckers that heal up that mound of plant oh this is the dynamic duo from hell. Yeah. Because <laughs> you've got a druid that's sitting there charging this thing like it's the freaking Energizer bunny. Yeah. A zap for you, a zap for my plant. <laughs> Just trading <laughs> off. <laughs> zap happy. Will also points out that lightning and water is a bad combo for adventurers. <laughs> Generally, yes. Yeah, absolutely. My goodness. The next one comes from our other patron, Leprechaun, who says that you gotta fight it in a wet, swampy, and stormy terrain. Then there's that threat of it getting healed up with, you know, just nature. Oh, uh, yeah. And like the first time your party realizes, you know, they think that the DM is just sprinkling this in for flavor. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, that gigantic creature, of course, it's the tallest one, is going to get electrocuted. And maybe when it starts to run away and you're chanting victory, you realize it's going for the <laughs> tallest tree. <laughs> like... Oh, no, it knows. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that adventuring party is screwed. And Leprechaun also points out that it could engulf from the water super easily and suck you down because Leprechaun's apparently an evil DM as well. <laughs> well... Thank you both for sending in those ideas and for engaging with us on our wonderful Discord. By all means, please feel free to come and join them. We have another great review. We really appreciate these. Keep them coming in. Oh my goodness, they're life. And this one is by Mentor of the Meek. But this one goes a fresh new D&D-related podcast. Five stars, hosted by two brothers, Travis and Jordan. This D&D-related podcast has a lighthearted and cheerful tone. The natural rapport between the hosts showcases their unique and interesting take on D&D advice for both DMs and players alike. I really like that there is a question mark after hosted by two brothers. It's not entirely clear that we're related sometimes, but I have also heard other people give the feedback that we sound identical and that we're hard to tell apart. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe we're the same person. Yeah, we're hard to tell apart visually as well. 
but we're super grateful for that. We're super grateful for all of the engagement and thank you so much to our patrons. Yes, thank you all so much. We really appreciate all the support for the show. Um, patron or no patron, uh, we just love having you interact with us and coming to join us on any one of the social media platforms that you can find us. But we'll say thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. And find us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening and, and play smell my rot games. God, you're gross.